0: Uh, We're at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. We're looking at five essentials of ministry, and we're finding uh, uh, the Apostle Paul laying this out in a beautiful way. And it's an important passage because this in 2 Timothy 4, some of the last words that Paul inscripturates. And this is the last epistle that he writes, so these are very important words, and he's telling Timothy some very important things. That's by interpretation, by application. It applies to us because we all have a ministry, and uh, he's assigned us all, that to each one we're given a ministry, the Lord assigns the ministry to us, and so we need to embrace it, and uh, uh, accept it and then can, you know use it use it the best way we can use it to honor and glorify him he is told timothy he said i solemnly exhort you in the presence of god and his holy angels and that's verse one and that's very important because he is a, he has challenged uh, timothy a couple of times and this is looking at the final time he's going to challenge timothy And then he gives five commands in verse 2. We've looked at a couple of those already where he says, preach the word. That's what we're called to do. That's what Timothy is called to do. Preach is the word means to proclaim it. So tell people about it. Uh, Shout it from the rooftops. Do whatever you need to do. Preach the word. The second command is be ready. And that means in the the word uh, that is used basically means to assume victory. Because you're on the winning side already. And when you know you're on the winning side, it gives a whole different attitude about an approach to life. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, when you feel like it and when you don't. And he says, reprove, rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. Now we are at the point of reprove, where we have to expose, it's a word of legco, To expose, expose the falsehoods, and boy, do we have a ripe opportunity in the generation in which we live. It is so uh, easy to see the the challenges that are going on to Christianity. I was thinking about it, and one of the things that the enemy, Satan, does, he's a master of distraction. He is able to take important things, and he is full of distractions, like some actor slapping another actor, at the Academy Awards show, and that takes a whole week of news cycle and just various things like that. Instead of going, what is really important, and when you start looking at it and what is going on, the leak out of the Supreme Court over this last week and what we find, this this is a battle between God and Satan. It is not a battle between political viewpoints or conservative or liberal. It hasn't got anything to do with that. It is a battle between God and his word and Satan and his attempt to distort it and twist it in any way possible. And as we see it that way, then we start are able to have a little more discernment when things come out and see a little better how we're supposed to treat it. Now... We're setting spiritual things so we need to be sure we first go in front of the throne of grace and uh, confess any sins if we need to prepare ourselves put put ourselves in the hands of the Lord walk in there and ask uh, Lord would you teach me something today the holy spirit is the ultimate teacher He has promised to lead us into all truth and show us things to come. So let's pray that the the words that come out of this mouth are of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they're designed to be. Pray that you'll have ears to hear. Uh, So very important. Ears to hear and eyes to see so that we may understand what God wants for us. So let's pray. Father, once again, we're amazingly blessed. And so often we don't even realize it. What you have prepared for us in the heavenly places that will never tarnish or fade away, Father, is far beyond anything we can think or imagine. Father, you've already blessed us so much here on planet Earth. You've blessed us with tests. You've blessed us with opportunities. You've blessed us with with, uh, relationships and friends and family. You have blessed us in so many ways. And Father, I pray that as we look into your word, we will heed these exhortations, these challenges that come from your bondslave slave, Paul, to from his writing into, into our ears. So let, give us the ears to hear so that we can serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're at uh, point four, which is really expose, rebuke, is the word that is translated there, and it means point out the falsehoods. Whenever you run into it, point out the falsehoods. I find it interesting that this uh, pro-life, pro-abortion thing is is all uh, issued on this, this type of uh, attitude that, uh, well, pro, pro-abortion, if you think about it, is evolutionary. It comes right out of evolutionary thought processes because they want to... Uh, control the population. Planned Parenthood was started by a racist, and that's that's a fact. It is a known fact. She wanted to control the black race, and that was stated in some of her writings. So that is a problem indeed, and it, that tells you right to begin with, there's a problem there. Now, <clears throat> what we have with the pro-life crowd is, is this is what needs to be done. Why? Because God's the one that, let, that finally brings the egg and the sperm together and produces the child. It, it, God is the one that does the DNA and the genetics and all these other things. And if you think genetics aren't there, I know you do. You've seen too many family members that have the same quirks. You know, have you ever noticed that? We've met people that we have never met before. And they're from a distant relative far, far away in another galaxy. And they they come in. And what we find is that, oh, they've got the same quirks as Aunt Frida. Oh, they've got the same quirks as Uncle Joe. And, I mean, it's. It's really weird how these quirks get passed on from generation to generation. So whenever they say that we are all a bunch of uh, uh, product of evolution, that's just a lie. And when they start that, you need to expose it. So really, it is. I used to say I didn't come from a monkey. You may have. That's what I by response back in the sixth grade. You know, you may have. You sure look like it. And off we go into junior high arguments in the way they, that they work. But here is the, the we didn't ascend sin from monkeys. A lot of Christians are trying to believe that, that we came up through a bunch of hominids over millions of years and all this other stuff. That's not the biblical uh, description of the way things work. It's just not. And so what we have is when you see those things like that, because it's coming out of an atheistic viewpoint... Versus a theistic viewpoint of Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God Almighty. And that's where the battle is going. That's where the battle is going on. If, you, if we don't realize that worldview, we'll get things wrong uh, for all of our life. Now, it says reprove and expose it. And it's uh, be sure when you do, it's truly a doctrinal issue. See, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. How do we know what the Scripture is? Well, when the people received these books, interestingly enough, they knew it was Scripture. Because they had the gift of prophecy working all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament till the completion of the canon. And the the prophets could tell whether it was inspired or not. That's why the Gospel of Thomas didn't make it. That's why the Gospel of Peter didn't make it. That's why the uh, pseudepigraphal and apocryphal books were not permitted into the canon of Scripture because the prophets already knew that wasn't it when they got it. There were four epistles written to Corinth, and we only have two of them. Why? Because the prophets in Corinth, as goofy as they were, said, No, that's not Scripture, and that's not Scripture. But these two are. And they kept it, copied it, and passed it on like they were supposed to do. So by the time the church councils got involved in it, in the 300s, they didn't approve anything that was not immediately approved by the churches when they were received. And that's something that is, gets buried and lost uh, whenever the world goes after Christians. We have a book that is all scripture. It is inspired of God. Okay, so that, that is so important to us. Now, be sure whenever we're going to expose stuff, it is a doctrinal issue. Because learning to see the difference between doctrine and preference, uh, that's a difficult thing to do at times. And we get really wrapped up around personal preferences. I've, I have mentioned it's, it's such an easy target. Uh, water baptism. How many different ways has water baptism been done? Throughout the course of uh, history, which way is right? Okay. And I believe that it, it, baptized means to totally immerse. Okay. I don't buy sprinkling. That denotes limited atonement. I'm unlimited atonement. So I think it was to totally immerse. Okay. If you're in the Jordan River being baptized by the Apostle John, I don't think he's going to sprinkle you. You're already in a river. Okay? So, that it, I believe immersion is the way it is. But is it straight down in the water and back up? Or is it backwards and up? Or forwards and up? Or backwards three times? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Or forwards three times? Father? Those are preferences. They become traditions. That is not defined by God which way to do it. It says, baptize. That's what you're supposed to do. I've seen people baptized in uh, little more than uh, mud puddles, cattle ponds. There was uh, uh, who was it? I heard uh, uh, talking the other day. They did a baptism and uh, went into a, uh, a basically a hole that had been filled with rainwater and came out, and they'd been bitten by a snake in doing that. Uh, they're they're okay. It wasn't a poisonous snake, but they. What is this? And it was two holes where fang marks had been made. A little bitty one, which can a lot of those can kill you just as fast as anything else. But be sure there's a doctrinal issue before you get into exposing things. Because it just makes Christians look foolish. Be able to say, thus saith the Lord. Not, thus saith the Drew. Or, thus saith me. Thus saith the Lord. If it's a doctrinal issue, then point it out. Then... <coughs> Uh, John th- uh, realize also that evil doesn't want to be exposed. Have, have you seen anybody lately that you think is involved in evil? I know some people say, well, that's judging. Don't judge me. But sometimes it's just so obvious <laughs> that there's no way to deny it. Evil does not want to be exposed. Whenever you expose it, don't think... Oh, I'm so happy you exposed the evil that I have in me. And they're going to embrace you for being such a kind, loving individual. Because they are not apt to do that. Did Jesus warn us of that? John three nineteen. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed, our word that we have here. So realize that when it comes to exposing people, you need a solid foundation of doctrine and realize the response is probably not going to be one of joy and happiness immediately. But I don't know if any of you have ever done this. I I got rebuked a few times growing up for doing some things that I shouldn't have done. You know what? I didn't like it when I got rebuked. And sometimes, years later, you go, you know, I'm really thankful that that coach said this, or that teacher said this, or mom or dad said this. My dad never did say a whole lot, but when he did, uh, and telling me I needed to fix something, I I, uh, I realized it, and it made made a difference. But I didn't like it initially when it happened. That's just the way we are. It's the way we're way we're built. He who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So realize evil doesn't want to be exposed. Don't participate in these deeds of darkness. In Ephesians 5, verses 11 to 17, uh, I've been called at times over 40 years of ministry to help deal with uh, wayward pastors that have gotten out of line, done things that they shouldn't have done. And it is never fun at all. And sometimes, uh, sadly, sometimes they had uh, gotten away with something by getting their hands slapped. There wasn't any any, what they did was wrong. Knew it was wrong. The deacons, elders tried to take care of it, basically a slap on the wrist, and they continued on doing the same thing over the course of time until finally it got so bad that it had to come out and and be exposed. And people would call me and say, what do you think? Should we expose it? Because we know if your brother sins, go reprove him in private. If he listens, you've won your brother. Okay. If he doesn't listen, take two or three witnesses and go back to your brother and talk to him. And if he listens, fine. You've won your brother. If he doesn't listen, okay, then you go to the third step. Tell it to the church. And sometimes it's necessary to tell it to the church. We should start going. We should start it right there because sometimes we think our brother's done wrong. We have misread the situation. And it's only our perception. So if you go to your brother, it has not become a rumor that is spread throughout the rest of the Western world uh, via Twitter or whatever it is, it's not, not become a false rumor that is being spread. You have gone to your brother and said, this is what I heard, is this true? You know, and given an opportunity, because they may say, no, these are the circumstances behind it. I know more than once than uh, uh, over the course of my life that I have seen that to be the case. I thought somebody really messed up, and then you when you hear the background... Information and you hear what led to this and this and this, then you go, Okay, I understand now. And uh, something that, uh, uh, well, uh, there's some th- things that are obvious, but sometimes we go, I just didn't understand the situation. Um, I know of a <clears throat> situation one time where, uh, I'm not going to tell that story. I'm sorry. Ephesians 5.11 said, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, even expose them. Now, is that hard to understand? It's not something we want to do, but it's not hard to understand, is it? Don't participate in them. Expose them. It's disgraceful even to speak of the things done by them in secret. All things become visible when they're exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, redeeming the time, it says, because the days are evil. Don't participate in these things. So part of being, your ministry, part of being a minister and a pastor, because we're all pastors, we have we're responsible for the sheep allotted to our charge, meaning those that we have influence over. We are responsible, men or women, whatever. The the, the there are places where the pastor can be an office, okay, within the church. It can be a spiritual gift within the church, but there is the generic pastoral care that goes to all caregivers. And then that's where these verses apply to us. And so don't don't participate in these unfruitful deeds of darkness. And expose unhealthy doctrine. Expose unhealthy doctrine. Whenever you run into it, expose it. There's some all kinds of unhealthy doctrine floating around out there today. Um one of which is uh, universal salvation. It's floating around out there because it, it, some people look at that and go, Well, I'll eventually be saved. Okay, what makes you think that? Because it's certainly not in the book you proclaim to read. Okay, what makes you think that? Do you, do you think that, that reincarnation is right and we're all really Hindus and we're going to come back till we get it right? Till we get our karma right and we finally ascend to Godhood? That sounds like a satanic lie to me. Oh, in the days that you eat of this, he knows you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. It goes to the lie back in the garden. So, <coughs> expose unhealthy doctrine. Now, if I got started there, we could be just talking about that subject for the next year. Expose unhealthy doctrine. How do you know what's healthy doctrine? They call it sound doctrine but sometimes whenever we read sound doctrine we don't what does sound mean and it's a word that means healthy it re- refers to our spiritual health titus 1:9 says holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine healthy doctrine and refute those who contradict Those who are in leadership positions in churches need to be able to offer a word of defense for the faith and the truth that is now in us. And so many times they they can't, they don't, they won't, they don't even want to go there. A lot of pastors and churches today, you can ask them, well, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or what? Are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, or what are you? And some of them will say, <clears throat> I'm pan-millennial. Which I believe it will all pan out in the end. And won't we'll take a position on it. Because prophecy, gosh, you can get off base in prophecy so easy. And somebody might leave our church and stop giving. And so they think more about the, the giving and the physical structure and the appearances... Then they think about the spiritual health and well-being of of people. The Bible is fully one-third prophecy. Much has been fulfilled. Much has not been fulfilled. A third of the Bible, 10,000 verses, is prophetic in nature. I think God thinks prophecy is important just by the very weight of the evidence on that. So we need to be able to to look at things, you know, the doctrine is he's coming back. We know he's coming back. We know that according to the Bible, he's coming back the way he left. He's coming back literally, physically, in the clouds of the sky. That's what he's going to do. Acts, the first chapter, if you want a reference for that. First Thessalonians 4, he is coming back. Now, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, split rapture, partial rapture, whatever? <clears throat> what we do is look for the evidence. Where does the evidence take us? And I believe the weight of the evidence is a pre-trib rapture, okay? Before the tribulation. Am I looking forward to that? I know we all are. The more decrepit we get and the more it is to in season and out of season to do our ministry, the more we look for the Lord's return. But by the same token, he is coming back. And you know, sometimes Christians are... Afraid of the trib? What? What if I'm wrong, and a lot of other people are wrong, and we have to go through the trib? So what? So what? You start reading what's going to happen. You can decide to go, move into your cave in Colorado somewhere, <clears throat> get your good stash of the funny weed, and take it in there, and just wait till Jesus comes. Okay, <clears throat> You can decide to do that. Or you can decide, you know, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus and maybe they'll kill me. That's the way of divine thinking. Is it not? Because the martyrs get a special place up there. If you read the book, what can man do to me? What can he do to me? Kill me and send me to be with my heavenly father? What's bad about that? So when we have the right attitude, the things of this earth don't really don't really affect us all to to that much of a degree point out falsehoods the next thing is translated rebuke it means to press the issue the word is epitamao <clears throat> tamao is a word that means to put weight upon to give honor to the word timae which is the noun form of tamao is is a word that means to give honor to and literally to put weight upon something that is valuable something you see the value in so <clears throat> when it says press the issue this this rebuke word <clears throat> is to verbally correct and do it with weight in your words let me take a drink <clears throat> Be able to say something with with um, not an authority of opinion, but an authority of Scripture. These things are important. And be able to say why and give the defense for them. Now we know from other passages, if you just read this passage, and you don't know what he wrote earlier in 2 Timothy, he says, gently correcting those in opposition. Okay, So that's where you start. I was talking to somebody about this Uh, Yesterday, in fact, Jesus didn't start with, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Although I think that actually goes with our congressional leaders today. Scribes are attorneys. Look what has been done to twist the law. Pharisees are people that want you to comply with their laws, but they don't have to. They excuse themselves from it. They're elitists and hypocrites. Speaking out of both sides of their mouth. So, if Jesus was doing Matthew 23, he'd probably go to our legislature and the federal government and say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and probably get a worse reception than he got in Matthew 23 outside of the temple. That's not the way he started. Three and a half years earlier, what was he doing? He was teaching. He was teaching the Old Testament. Teaching what to look for in Messiah. Messiah. He's the one that John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. John knew his place. And he said, look to him. He's the one you need to follow now, not me. Well, some of them didn't listen to him, obviously, but some of them did. But he is, he is <clears throat> uh, uh, correcting gently. He moves that along over three years of his ministry. Very seldom giving anybody a a harsh word. Very seldom. And then Matthew 23, the week of the cross. When everything else has not worked and they've not listened, what did he do? He unloaded on them is what he did. Because woe to you. Whenever the Jews heard the word woe, their ears perked up. Because it has been written down in the prophets multiple times. And now here's a man that they were getting ready to kill. Woe to you, attorneys and elitist Pharisees, hypocrites. Because you travel about and he gives a whole list there of different things. But press the issue in the right way. If it's just the first time you met somebody, don't uncork with, with 18 pages of doctrine. Pray for the opportunity, pray for the words. Lord show me what to say, and you will be amazed at what the Holy Spirit will bring out of your mouth. But you need to be prepared for those times. Now how did what kind of rebuke happen? Jesus rebuked demons. Matthew 17:17 17, 17 and 18. And Jesus answered and he said, "O unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I be with you? Now see here is Matthew 17. He's got into the second and third year. This is when he's starting to up the ante, make it stronger. And he says, bring him here to me. This was a young man that had a demon. And it says, and Jesus rebuked him, the demon. And the demon came out of him. And the boy was cured all at once. Also recorded in Mark one twenty five and, and uh, Mark 3.12. Because Jesus rebuked demons. And when he called them out, he called them out. So we get some idea of what this word rebuke is all about. Jesus rebuked the weather. Now we'd like to do that, wouldn't we? From time to time. You know, we 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 only had 14 tornadoes the other night or something like that. and and uh, nobody laughed when I said we're going to cancel class due to the occasional tornado or whatever it was. I thought that was funny. But anyway, we, uh, and we pray. Uh, the, one of the tornadoes uh, that was south of Tecumseh uh, was one mile north of my daughter and her husband. And it went across and, and tore up a, a horse farm. And kill several horses, put them put them down out there. And it was one of the F2s that went on up into Seminole before it did. So how many? That was 14. You know how many we had, our record is for one day here at Oklahoma? 72. May 3rd, 1999. We all remember that tornado. You were what a mile from it? Yeah, half mile when that went through. Uh, we had several people. It's interesting the way things happened because the Thompsons were, were a half mile north of it. The Chandlers that were in our church back then was a half mile south of it. And they went through and they got out with just debris in the yard was about it. But <clears throat> it's interesting the way that the, the Lord does things. But when Jesus rebuked the weather, I, I love this, Matthew eight twenty six. He said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? And he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, <coughs> and it became perfectly calm. Now, <laughs> you might remember what the disciples said. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Hmm, that was something. I want to replay of that when we get to heaven. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I remember at times wanting to be able to rebuke it. One time we were on a... A baseball team camp out down at Lake Texoma and we thought the storm was a lot farther away than it was this is the 60s when they were still just barely forecasting any tornadoes and so we were going out to Catfish Bridge out there on a pontoon boat and there's about 15 or 16 of us on it it's a normal way we did things back then and they were going to drop us off at the pylons out there and then come back and get us later we're gonna fish And so we got out there almost to the bridge and the storm hit. And we put, and the pontoon boat went about a foot underwater. It was some pretty good wind and sea. And we were, if we could have rebuked the weather, we would have rebuked the weather back then. But it was an interesting night that night. I remember some good stories about tornadoes, but I'm sure you all got them too. People in Pennsylvania and places would say, gosh, you got tornadoes down there. I said, No big deal. What do you mean no big deal? We see these things on the TV. I said, Oklahoma, the storm sirens blow, and everybody goes outside to see if they can see it. And they just could not believe it. Couldn't believe it. Jimmy used to track them. (laughs) So it's, you know, he's done a few of those things over the course of his life. But uh, Jesus rebuked the weather. He spoke boldly to it, right? He said, stop, and it stopped. Jesus rebukes sickness. He had the power to do that. He is the God-man. He has always been that. And it's an interesting thing. When he rebuked sickness, it left. A lot of other people have tried it. But not many people, it, only in the first century, actually have had the, the gift of healing. Does Jesus heal today? Yes. No arguments about that. But does somebody have the gift? That's a whole different picture. Because if a person had the gift, they could say be healed, or they'd be healed. Whether they were believers or not. Happened to the man born blind. Happened to the man in John chapter 6. Coming up out of the water, he didn't know who it was. They asked him, who healed you? He said, I don't know. I don't know. You can find he was so self-centered and selfish, he didn't even know who healed him. So how, how, how much faith did he have, would be a question I would ask Not a whole lot. The gift of healing can heal. Whether or not the person believed or not, it could say, be well, and they were well. It could say, be risen, and they would rise. Jesus rebuked sickness, Luke 4.39. Standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately arose and waited on them. Now, what happens whenever a sickness breaks in our life? I know we've all been pretty sick at times before and we have the fever and we're sweating and all that and the fever breaks. Okay? And then we're we are able to finally know that the fever is finally broke. But usually we don't feel like jumping up and cleaning the house. Okay? But when Jesus heals you, you get ready to clean, clean the house. I mean, it's a done deal. Jesus rebuked a challenge to the Father's plan in Mark chapter 8, verse 32. <laughs> Jesus was stating the matter plainly. What was that? The Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem, be betrayed into the, into the hands of religious people, and then He will die and be buried and rise again on the third day. And He was stating the matter plainly. Jesus didn't hide from his disciples what was going to happen. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, (laughs) try to put yourself in the Lord's place. (laughs) Can you you believe what this guy's doing? I mean, he still hasn't figured out really who I am. He's seen all these miracles, feeding of the 5,000, calming the sea. He's seen all these things and now he's going to tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. And turning around and seeing his disciples. Because they were watching. He rebuked Peter. And said, get behind me Satan. You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. See, the Lord knew what the plan was for him. And he was prepared to embrace it. He knew what the plan was. He said, get behind me, Satan, because that was a temptation. It was a challenge to the Father's plan, and so he said no. See, it was based on true doctrine, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was doctrine in the flesh, the God-man in the flesh. Now Jesus rebuked a challenge to the Father's plan. He is not pleased with the improper rebukes of man. So before we go out, there's, there's several passages that say reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And some people take it as a license to go after people. Okay? <clears throat> but don't he does not want improper rebukes of men. See, don't rebuke anybody who wants to come to him. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, it says they were bringing children to him. That he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. The people who were out there. were, were bringing, They were bringing children to him. So that Jesus could touch their kids. And I, I tell you there's, there's some countries when you go into. And if you go in and you teach, you preach, whatever you do. And when it's all over they want you to pray for them. And they will get in line. They want you to pray for them. It's been that way for centuries as far back as any can remember. And they, they want you to pray for them. Well, <clears throat> what do you do if you're, a, if you're a, a minister, pastor, evangelist, whatever you do? I believe you stop and pray. That's exactly what you're called to do. The disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them... Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. Will not enter at all. He wants a pure simple faith. And he took them in his arms the children. And he began blessing them. Laying his hands upon them. And he prayed for all of them. Can you imagine what a blessing that would be? If you're one of those kids. You might not even realize it. Might not ever realize it. That you have just been blessed. And prayed for by the Savior of the universe. Amazing. Don't rebuke those that want to be healed. By him. In Mark chapter 10. Verse 46 to 49. And he came to Jericho. And he was going out from Jericho with his disciples. And a great multitude. A blind beggar. Named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Wow, where did that come from? Son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. And he kept crying out, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, arise, for he is calling for you. See, whenever, does people who want to be healed, do we want to be healed? I hope, I hope so. I hope the first place we want to be healed is Spiritually. Because he gives us these physical burdens to carry along as long as we draw breath. And that's just the way it's going to be. That's what happens. And so, here he's saying, somebody wants to be healed, come to Jesus. His sovereign decision is what decides who is and who isn't. But you know, it's good if we're healed, it's good if we're not. And we often lose sight of that. If the Lord heals us, praise the Lord. Look what he has done. If He doesn't heal us, He still has a mission for us. He still has a ministry for us. He has something for us to do. Because to be able to endure a sickness with grace, and to still be able to minister, I've talked to people that seriously are only days away from dying. And they are, they are so evangelistic, it's unbelievable. They are hurting, they're in pain, they, they, they can just barely talk, some of them. But nurses that come to him, family that comes to him, they're going to tell people about the Lord. They're going to finish strong. Well, you might pray, Lord, heal them. This is part of my prayer. But, Lord, if you choose not to, please sustain them through this so they may be your witness. To me, I think that's what the Bible teaches us to do. Don't rebuke those that want to be healed by him. Specifically, what we're supposed to rebuke is the issue of sin from Luke 17. The first verse says, and he said to his disciples, It's inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Then he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. This is the same issue with the children recorded in Luke with a little more information. Be on your guard. <clears throat> if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. See the Lord is full of grace and full of truth, is he not? John one eighteen. So <clears throat> these are reprove, rebuke, and the next one is exhort. And to exhort is to partner. Exhortus parakaleo means call alongside. It doesn't mean you're out front or behind pushing. It means you're calling someone alongside. You're basically saying we are brothers in this, we are sisters in this. That's what encourage means. It's translated oftentimes as comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, the God of all parakaleo, the God of all comfort. And you know what? Some people say, well, I just can't comfort or encourage or exhort anybody. Because that's three words. It's translated. But are you a believer? If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's moved inside of you. Who is who is the Holy Spirit? Call him the paraclete. That means he is the encourager. He is the exhorter. Part of, part of what the Holy Spirit does is to encourage and exhort and challenge. So whenever that's what we want to do reprove, expose the problem, rebuke, clearly point it out, exhort, partner with them in the truth. Encourage people, important point, to give their life totally to God. Romans chapter twelve, <coughs> Paul <coughs> In chapter 12, he starts off with the therefore. And you have to always ask, what's the therefore? I know I've worn that one out. Why is it there? It's drawing a conclusion from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is probably the greatest theological treatise that has ever been written. Bar none. In chapter 1, it establishes volition. Chapter 2, 3, and 4, it establishes you're declared righteous by grace through faith. Chapter 5, it teaches us what we got into whenever Christ saved us. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 talks to us about the sin nature and sin, 6 and 7 especially. Chapter 8, there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the end of chapter 8. Chapter 9, 10, and 11 are about their spiritual heritage as Jews. And so, here is, here is the book of Romans, theology given, how the Gentiles are grafted in to share the blessings of Israel, not to, not to replace Israel. And then chapter 12, therefore. And he says, this is the conclusion. This is how I want you to live based on the theology that you've just been taught. And he says, I urge you. And that is parakaleo. I call you alongside. I exhort you. I exhort you by the mercies of God. Always remember how we became believers. It was by his mercy as well. That's not giving us what we deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy gives us. doesn't give us what we do deserve. Because we're the ones that deserve the cross. Not the Lord. So by the mercies of God, and see the plural is more than one. To present your bodies, to show up for work, to stand up, and it's kind of the got the Roman soldier attitude, present yourself present yourself for service. To present your bodies, a living holy sacrifice. A living sacrifice, you know, to really live in a Christian life you have to die to self. Kind of an interesting uh, reversal there, isn't it? A living, holy sacrifice. It means when you present yourself to God, you might take just a second to look at your face in the mirror and not just say, I need to shave. It's time to look at yourself in the mirror and go, is there a problem with me in my spiritual life here? A living, holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. The word is well-pleasing. We want to do the things to His glory that please Him. Some people want to do those things because it makes them look good. Some people want to live in honor and character and integrity. And they want to do that, but they don't want to give any of the credit to the Lord. So all this that they do is to draw attention to self. And we're to do everything to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Which is your spiritual service of worship. Here the word shifts to a word of priestly service. As a believer in the church, we're priests. All of us are priests. It's your spiritual service to God of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. People somehow think, well, I don't want to go to church because churches are all weird. I don't want to go to church because they're so judgmental. I don't want to go to church because they don't wear the clothing I like to wear. I don't want to go to church because I don't. And the next thing you know, they're not going to church anywhere. And what happens? The devil says, got them right where I want them. Because then what do they end up listening to? A little bit of everybody, everything. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't start seeking fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. Don't go after those things. But be transformed. Metamorphosis. Change from the inside out. How? By the renewing of your mind. That means that we need to continue to read the Bible, study the Bible, try to find out more about it. Renewing of your mind so that you can determine what the will of God is. How many people want to know the will of God? Well... You have to do the constant renewing of your mind. But before that you have to present yourself to Him. A living holy sacrifice. And you come and you say, teach me. Teach me, I want to know. I want to know what you want me to do that is going to honor and glorify you. And I want you to lead me. That's a prayer He He just told us to, to do. You think He'll honor that? He will. <clears throat> The will of God is, and you'll know it because it's good. It's well pleasing, that's our acceptable word, and it's mature, it's grown up. See, we'll know the will of God. But we first gotta comply with the conditions. If we do, then we are going to we're gonna know the will of God. So what do we encourage people to do? Give their life totally. To the Almighty. Let's pray. Father we thank you once again. And we cannot thank you enough. For your matchless grace. Your wondrous love. And for all that you have done. Father we pray that indeed. That you will uh, be with us. Help us to realize. What is pleasing in your eyes. Now give us the discernment. To know what is doctrine. And what is just preference. And Father I pray that we will lead a life. That is exemplary imitating our lord jesus christ and father we pray that your hand will be upon that and that you will use us to help to help point others to your son for we ask this in jesus name amen